Welcome back, everyone. This is Pete Van Epps, and on this episode, I interview Jim Roden. Jim came to a Cameron Brooks conference in June of 2015, and he launched his career in an operational role within Foster Farms, which is one of the largest poultry producers, very prevalent on the West Coast, but certainly throughout the United States. Jim, by the way, is a former Army officer, six-year officer, logistician, had a bunch of different jobs in the military, platoon leader and uh, assistant S3, transportation officer, S4 planner, a bunch of, bunch of different types of logistics and operational roles. And so this conversation was fun because when Jim came through this program, he read all 10 books on the reading list with Cameron Brooks before he went to the conference. And that was one of the first questions that I asked him, is his experience in that. And it's interesting that throughout the conversation, we, we started talking about his uh, his career and the promotions that he's had thus far. He's been there for about four and a half years. He's on his third job right now. got promoted in December, so I've been in this last role for three or four months now. And he's just making massive uh, waves at the company and doing great things. And so um, as we continue to talk and as I continue to explore how he's been successful, he kept coming back to improvement and one of the sources that he was doing is, is that through, is through constant reading and getting better from a professional development perspective. So I think you'll hear that as a theme uh, in this podcast. We, we end up talking about a few different things. We talked about his career and what he's done thus far in um, at Foster Farms. We talked about um, how to navigate your career within a um, within an integrated supply chain, which is exactly what he's doing right now. He gives a couple of book recommendations that I'll link to in the show notes. Um, and then he gives some ideas about how to continue to improve in uh, throughout your career. So just a great conversation with Jim. It was excellent to catch back up with him. And uh, here's how he's doing. So um, I think you'll take a lot away from this conversation. If you want to know more about us, if you've stumbled on this podcast and don't really know much about Cameron Brooks, you can find out a lot about us from our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. I've got a lot of media and a lot of content that you can use uh, to learn more about uh, making a transition uh, from being a successful junior military officer to being a successful leader in corporate America. So yeah, go check us out on our website. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's get going here. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jim. All right, Jim Roden, good to talk to you again. Thanks for joining us uh, on the Camera Books podcast. Thank you very much. Okay, man. So let's start here. Why don't you give us uh, Why don't you give us the high level version of uh, your military background? Tell us where you're coming from before you made the transition to Foster Farms. Well, I. Served in the Army for six years as a logistics officer. I uh, began stationed in Alaska and included a deployment to Afghanistan. And then I went to the captain's career course at Fort Lee, Virginia, and I finished off in Fort Bliss, Texas. Yeah. Um, it, when you were in the Cameron Brooks program, now let's talk about let's talk a, bit, a little bit about before the conference. One of the things that we talk a lot about with the officers that are in our program is the reading reading list. And I think sometimes officers don't fully appreciate why we even have a reading list. The the main thrust of the reading list is to expose people that may not have um, business knowledge, certainly don't have much business experience, but may not even have the knowledge. Expose them to a lot of different ideas so that we're in the 
the interview process, whether the conference follow-up interview process, and certainly really that first year in corporate America, they're able to connect dots a little bit better because they've been exposed to different business concepts and ideas. So one of the things I noticed I was doing a little research is I was reminding myself about some of our previous conversations and your interaction in the program is you finished the entire Camera Brooks reading program. So let's just, just for a moment talk about that. First off, you know, what was the motivation for you to do that? And then secondly, what advantage do you think it gave you through this process? Well, I remember some of the material that I read with Cameron Brooks. It talked about uh, the process being like a mini MBA. And I really feel like that was the case, uh, both at the time and then now that I'm actually in an executive MBA program. I can see why it's described that way, because the reading list is very comprehensive. There's books about finance. There's books on Lean Six Sigma, on project management, on manufacturing. Uh, one of the books that really stood out to me was the goal. And uh, because I was in, I partnered with Cameron Brooks and I, because of the timing before I could officially get out of the military, I had quite a bit of time. And so I used my time to read everything on the, the reading list, to really go through the DPP, to prepare myself as much as possible. And I can definitely say there was one job with a manufacturer that I got because I read the goal and that came up in the conversation in the interview mm. and we talked about it and we talked about how it would, some of those principles would apply in that manufacturing environment. And that familiarity I know helped me with one job offer in addition to just exposing me to business and helping bridge that knowledge gap from, you know, taking what I've learned in the military and leadership, but then, bridging that to future opportunities in corporate America. Nice. Um, can you give some advice to people that maybe don't don't see it that maybe don't fully appreciate why there's a reading list to begin with and maybe that's really it or or maybe ways to digest some of the material, especially if someone's not maybe a, a full on cover to cover type reader. Any ideas or thoughts around that? Well I think the first is that nowadays there's lots of different forums that you can receive that knowledge in a book. You don't have to actually, you know, get a hard copy book and read it every night. You could use an audio book or you could have an e-reader. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things I remember as we partnered in our conversations is that you don't necessarily have to read the book cover to cover. You can, uh, a lot of times in those books in the very beginning, you know, the first third of the book might cover most of the big the key points that are most important. And so even if you can focus on grasping that knowledge, you'll get, it'll be a pretty big bang for your buck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really like the way you said that, because that's really it right there. I mean, for the most part, no one's going to say, hey, what you think about chapter five of good to great? It's going to, it's going to be much broader in nature. And the thing that I tell people often is if you can, if you can communicate your military experience from from different contexts other than just the military, it makes you a much more well-rounded communicator in not only in the interview, but really, again, in that first year in corporate America. And it sounds to me, at least as you referenced the goal in particular, that's the way that, that played out for you. Yes. I kind of tell myself when I read books, I'm probably only going to remember three or four things after having mm -hmm. read the book. And it's not like you said, what's in chapter five, it's not that I'm taking a test, but what are a couple of 
lessons that I can kind of glean from the book and then implement into my life. And so as you read other mm-hmm. books, you're kind of putting these tools in your toolkit and mm-hmm. giving you context and understanding. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's been times where since I've been in corporate America, I've gone back and decided to, you know, hey, there was a book that I read with Cameron Brooks that addressed this. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and refresh on it because now the part of the career that I'm in right now, it's really addressing this, you know, and so mm-hmm. it really, I felt like gave me a good background from which I could um, understand when I needed to go deeper. Okay. This is where I can start and then I can yeah. go from there. I do want to move on to your career. I do want to, uh, I want to share with you though. Somebody said this to me the other day and you'll probably appreciate that. So this It's like, you know, if, if you graduated college and went straight into corporate America and someone came up to you at the six-year mark and said, all right, in a year from now, you're going to be in the Army, but you're not going to start as a second lieutenant. You're going to start in the exact same position that you would be if you just served six, you know, from the beginning, served six years in. And if that were the case, what would you do? What What type of attitude and what type of activity would you engage in to ensure that the day that you stepped in the army as a basically post career course captain, if you will, you were ready to be successful in that type of role. And I think, I don't think it's too far of a stretch. I don't think people see the military to business transition the way they would see a, a business to military transition the way I'm describing. Of course, that would never happen, but they don't see the transition that way. And I think a lot of, a lot more people should see it that way because these roles that you're interviewing for are are not college hire jobs they they expect you to come in with a certain level of experience and expertise so give me your thoughts on that real quick and then we'll move on to a different topic well one thing i've noticed um a difference in corporate america from the military is that you could get hired into a job and stay there your entire career and there is anything wrong with that if that's what you want to have happen um, you can do that and you can be really good at that position um, in the military, you are promoted kind of based off of a time a time clock. Uh, once you've been in the military for a certain amount of time, if you have done the right things in your career, you'll get promoted, especially until you get to a mm-hmm. certain point to where it becomes a little more selective. And so mm-hmm. what I found, um, a lot of the same skills that are important in the military to really being effective, if you translate that over into corporate America, um, you need to make that transition, but then also you have to take that self-initiative to continue to improve your own abilities, identify weaknesses. How can I neutralize a weakness? How can I capitalize on my strengths? What are the roles that I want to go into? There isn't a defined career path, but you actually get to chart your own path. And that's uh, part of the fun um, that you get with that transition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. All right, that's good stuff right there. All right, so let's talk about your your transition. So you came to the conference, you did you did a bunch of follow-up interviews and you received four different offers for employment coming out of the conference and follow-up interview process. So you could have gone you could have taken your career in four different ways because companies were saying yes to you, here's an offer, we we're ready to bring you on board. Tell me tell me your decision First of all, let's go here. Tell me your decision to go with Foster Farms. And then in that, if you would, who is Foster Farms? Tell us about your company. Okay. Well, 
truly the career conference and then the three weeks after the career conference when I had the follow-up interviews. It's a time unlike any other. It's just hard to describe because I knew I was going to be getting out of the military, but I was flying across the country, meeting with companies, preparing for interviews, um, and it was an amazing opportunity. I actually counted it up, and I ended up having six uh, follow-up interviews, and of those, I had four job offers. I had a total mm -hmm. of 45 interviews, all total. Mm -hmm. And wow. later on, when I came right. to Foster Farms and was a manager, I felt so much more equipped now when I was the one hiring people because I had mm -hmm. done it 45 different times when I sat mm -hmm. on the other end mm -hmm. of the table. Mm -hmm. But uh, coming to Foster Farms, uh, I was familiar with it because I'm from the western part of the U.S. Foster Farms is the largest poultry producer in the western U.S. They have fresh chicken and fresh turkey products as well as some prepared food and cooked chicken items. Our corn dogs are the most popular corn dogs in the nation. And okay. there's some other items that you can find um, if you go to any grocery store, even in the eastern part of the U.S., especially if it's a frozen item. And uh, one of the things that really attracted me, me to Foster Farms was the opportunity to step out and up. My initial job with Foster Farms was as plant manager for a liquid feed plant. And Foster Farms is vertically integrated. And so they are involved in everything from breeding chickens to hatching chickens, to growing the chickens, to feeding the chickens, and then processing the birds at our plants and putting them into finished goods and shipping them to our customers. And so I began in our commodities division, and I was a plant manager. We had 30 employees in our plant, and it included truck drivers, and it was a great operational role. It correlated well with um, operational jobs I had in the military as a platoon leader and in other capacities. And uh, our plant ran 24 hours, five and a half days a week. When there were things that went wrong, I had to you know, roll up my sleeve and, and get my hands dirty. And after being in that position for about a year and a half, um, there was an opportunity where I could really apply that logistical background that I had. And so I moved into another position where I was the prepared food and cooked chicken supply planning manager. And in this position, I actually moved to the corporate headquarters. So I moved with Foster Farms. I originally started in the Fresno, California area, and I moved about uh, 65 miles north of there. Um, living just uh, south of Modesto, California. And uh, it was more of an office environment. I led a staff of five individuals and we planned production and the inventory needs for six foster farms plants. And so that included our three corn dog plants, two cooked chicken plants. We also have a frozen Mexican brand that we own named Fernando's and uh, that plant as well. And so that was uh, more of like a strategic role where we were doing planning, uh, looking at uh, working with the cross-functional team with people from marketing and sales and R&D. And uh, I was in that role for the past three years and um, it was a promotion and it was a great opportunity because um, I went from being a plant manager to now working directly with plant managers. And mm -hmm. so I understood some of their struggles and the, the issues that they faced. Mm -hmm. as I worked with them to develop efficient production schedules and to develop plans that met our inventory requirements. And just recently, um, I was promoted back in December, so about three months ago, into a role, uh, the co-contract manufacturing manager. 
And so this opportunity is uh, another one where I'm now involved with third-party companies who produce products for foster farms. They put the foster farm label on the product. And I'm involved now with negotiation with these third-party companies, writing contracts. A lot of it involves innovation. So there are brand new products that haven't been on the market before. So I'm working very closely in a project management role with um, people from R&D and marketing to bring products out to the market that haven't been there before. Um, I want to go back a little bit, and, and I've got a lot to ask you because it, because it's interesting. Your progression in the last five years, basically, is not unlike or dissimilar to other progressions, but I think people have such a misconception of the integrated supply chain as it relates to their career path. And what I mean by that is you started in an operational role, which you said correlated very well with some of your operational experience in the Army before being promoted into, you know, you basically went from operations to business analysis, right? And yes. now you're doing another business analysis role. And and who knows, man, maybe your next job is back out to the field where you're managing, you know, 50 plants. Or I, I have no idea, right? But But the idea that you get a chance to navigate within the integrated supply chain from manufacturing to procurement to planning to supply chain from a uh, from a warehouse transportation distribution hands-on operational perspective not that you would go lead a small team in a warehouse again you may be the manager of the warehouse now because as you continue to rise within the integrated supply chain you kind of jump around the different parts of the organization this is so perfect as it relates to what we see and your story is perfect because I think most people think, oh, well, I'm going to start in manufacturing, so I'm going to live in the manufacturing plant for, for 20 years. And, and to your point earlier, maybe people want to do that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a wrong thing. I just think that when you get to corporate America, and, in, and Jim, in your specific experience, I want to really dig into how, but let me just finish making the point. In your specific experience, you're, you're jumping around all over the place. You're doing all kinds of things. And so my question for you is how did you move from plant manager to the to, to the supply planner role, right? You moved from from um, a Fresno to Modesto, basically. Did you initiate that? Did someone come to you? Like, what was the what was the means by which that occurred for you? So it it's funny in a way it almost happened by accident. Um, I was looking at an opportunity on our corporate uh, website with job postings, and uh, I, I read this job description, and it was almost like I was looking at um, my resume that I had prepared with Cameron Brooks. I was like, oh my gosh, like everything I can draw a line and I can connect. And um, I'd been in the plant manager role for about a year and a half, which was a decent amount of time. Um, yep. I definitely could have stayed longer and progressed further, but sure. um, I had known, you know, just look at my own skills and abilities that uh, I didn't necessarily want to stay in that plant manager role forever. And so I almost had to chart my own path. And so I, I applied for that position. And Pete, you might remember, but I think I we had, had a conversation. I actually called Cameron Brooks, and uh, we had a discussion about preparing for the interview and and that type of thing. I gave my I talked to my boss to make sure he was on board with it. Um, and then I I interviewed, and it was really interesting because when I had interviewed with that hiring manager, uh, her her name was Avonta Williger. 
she actually looked at my resume and said, are you Cameron Brooks? I said, yes. Well, I, I, I was, you know, she's yeah. like, I look at your resume. And I was like, I just came to a con. I, she had gone to a conference um, oh, maybe okay. a year previous sure. and said, you know, it looks like, where were you? You know? And I was like, well, I was at the career <laughs> conference before that one, you know, getting hired for a different right, role. Right. <laughs> but right. Um, we really connected well because she saw and she could value that military experience and what mm-hmm. I had done in the military and just being able to leverage that. And I'm not going to uh, sugarcoat things. I mean, making those transitions, it's difficult, right? Uh, there isn't a manual that tells you every step. Uh, there are times when, um, both when I was a plant manager and then when I moved over to um, the other two roles I've been in at Foster Farms where you make mistakes, right? You get mud on your face. But the key for me was learning how can I get better and improving. And uh, I think that continue imp- continuous improvement element is important if you want to continue to progress wherever you are. So let's let me pull on that a little bit because uh, I, I think that's interesting. Actually, let me, let me make a point first, especially for those that haven't made the transition yet. Sometimes, sometimes I have conversations with people who who are trying to ascertain their commitment to corporate America. And your point about sometimes you get you know you get mud on your face, sometimes you know you make mistakes. Those are the times when your resolve and your commitment to corporate America are really tested because. You know, especially in the first job, right? You could have gotten out there and be like, you know what? What did I do? What a mistake! I just need to go back to what I know and what I'm comfortable with. You know, I was in ROTC and I was in the Army for six years. I know the military really well. Let me just go back and work for the government in some capacity. And usually, usually not getting back in the military, but it's do something related. So I think your point is well taken. You know, the grass is not greener in corporate America. It's just a different shade of or it's just a different color, I should say. And so having that commitment to to continuing to get better, even in the face of adversity, is really crucial to companies when they're looking at the non-traditional hire like a JMO. And and so when you're hiring JMOs, and I don't know if you've had a chance to do that yet, just I didn't through any course, but you know, I know that you're looking for people who are committed to this path, considering the non-traditional background. Can you speak to that for a moment? Can you just give me your thoughts on on that idea? And then I want to ask you kind of this idea about continuing to improve. Well, I think coming from a non-traditional path, you have experiences that are different from other people. You're not coming through the normal pipeline of going to a college campus and recruiting and be it for undergraduates or for graduate students. Um, there's an expectation that you are bringing something different to the table. And one of the things I found uh, that's important is that uh, tenacity um, and also the ability to, to learn and to figure it out. If When we hire a foster farms in the program, when we hire people right out of college and they have a management trainee program, there's kind of an expectation that there's a learning curve. Being a non-traditional um, there's also a learning curve, but there's a little bit of an expectation that you're taking more responsibility for your own learning and putting things together. And I've I've also learned a lot about myself. I remember being uh, going through the DPP program with Cameron Brooks and reading about a business ana you know analyst role, um, uh, reading about the operations roles, and okay, I understand that a little bit. And then I get into the, the actual business environment, and I'm like, oh. This is what they was talking about. This is what it actually okay. looks like. Like it's no longer theory. This is practice, and you can 
look at your strengths and weaknesses and focus on building on your strengths. And that's something I've tried to do. Yeah, that's great. Tell me, tell me more about the idea of, um, of, of continuing to, you know, continuing to improve, continuing to get better. You know, you talked about making mistakes, maybe a little get, getting a little mud on your face to use that expression. Okay. So what does that really mean though? How did you get, give me an idea of what you did. And I think that will, you know, that will help others listening to this call who are really wanting to know more about, um, about how to how to keep on keeping on, so to speak, as it relates to uh, continuing to improve. Well, I think uh, there's a couple of things. One, I've tried to continue to read and to gain more knowledge. And I think with time, I've gotten perspective and I've learned, oh, you know what, there's, if I had known this, I would have done it differently. And so then when I take on my next role, I take those lessons that I've learned. I take that experience and I'm able to implement it. Um, so I've tried, I went to the, the back of PCS Corporate America and it listed several books on there and I've, I've read many of them. Sometimes I've gone okay. to books and I said, I need to get better at this aspect. How can I do that? And I've looked up books that, or audio books that I could read to try and improve myself. Um, a lot of it also comes from getting to build a network within your own company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried to do that as I've moved, especially in, in different roles that I've been in, to talk to people, to learn their lessons, to understand, um, you know, if, let's say, you know, you make a mistake, to make sure that I'm learning from it and not repeating the same mistake. I think sometimes that's the challenge that people get into is they make a mistake once and then they don't learn from it. So they make it again and again and again. So um, I think another thing that is important is having a good relationship with your manager as well so that you can understand um, where you stand and where there's um, some opportunities for improvement. It can be a little difficult to look in the mirror and to recognize, you know what, I'm not very good at this area. But if you aren't willing to do that, then you're going to really uh, slow down your opportunities for growth. And uh, I think some of those things have, have definitely helped me. Great. Yeah, re- really helpful. Um, not to put you on the spot, because I didn't, I didn't really ask you to come up with these, but do you have any, any interesting reads that you've you know, come across in the last year or two that you think a JMO would actually uh, enjoy and benefit from? Well, uh, one book, and I was always surprised it wasn't on the Cameron Brooks reading list, is The First 90 Days. And unfortunately, I didn't capture it. I didn't know about it in my first 90 days um, when I first started at Foster Farms, but I read it um, multiple times, actually, because there's so much good material, and I felt like I didn't get everything out of it. But as I've had other transitions, I've gone back through it because it really talks about creating a structured process for your transition and being systematic about things you want to accomplish and things you need to learn. It talks about the importance of producing value and not consuming value. There's it talks about different CEOs who uh, look at people who get hired and at what point can you break even or can you start producing more value than you're consuming? And I, I think that's something very important. In my current role that I just started, um, it's very heavy in negotiation and working with suppliers. And so a book that I uh, looked up is Getting to Yes. 
I just read it uh, recently because I noticed that that's an area that I needed um, a stronger background in. And so I, you know, found a good book and read it and I'm working on implementing some of those lessons I've learned. Good, man. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think I'm, and I'll probably come up with a title that's associated with that. You know, I, I just kind of coincidentally asked you about the reading program because I had noticed that you'd read all the books back in 2014 and 15 before the conference. But, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing very loud and clear in your, in your career and obviously third, third job in four and a half years is, is, uh, is you're moving along pretty quickly here. And one of the things I keep hearing over and over is if you want to get ahead, you need to keep reading and you keep, you need to keep learning. You need to keep um, expanding your knowledge and not getting stuck. And I think it's easy for people to get stuck, myself included. I remember points in my life where, you know, I wasn't investing as heavily in self-development. And um, and so I think this is just a massive point for people. And hopefully it's coming through loud and clear in this recording because uh, it's uh, it's an important point. And I'm glad that we're landing on that naturally as we as we converse here. Um, um, I mentioned, I know that I, uh, I mentioned to Eric Baker in a, a podcast that I w- did with him a while back. What kind of interaction do you have with JMOs there at Foster Farms? And do you guys do anything above and beyond, you know, kind of just the normal, hey, you're JMO, so am I? Do you, do you have some sort of veterans council or do you, do you have any best practice sharing? Any, anything that you think uh, would be interesting to hear about relative to uh, some of those experiences? Well, Foster Farms did hire a number of JMOs from Cameron Brooks around the time that I interviewed uh, with the career conference and everything. And I've actually had the opportunity to get to know every single one of them. And it's been a good opportunity just to, you have, there's kind of a brotherhood or a sisterhood that you feel a a connection with because you have a similar background, uh, done different things, you've professionally uh, have done things that are different. And that was definitely a network that was very helpful for me, especially as I made transitions or I thought about, hey, I'm considering, you know, putting in for this promotion. What do you think? What can you tell me about the position? Especially as you shared that network, you know, we each were linked with our GMO background, but then we all had our own networks. And to share information, I found that uh, very helpful. Foster Farms has created a veterans club uh, that was okay. about a year or two ago, and that included people more than just uh, JMOs, obviously anyone who is associated with the military, even if you're a military parent and you had a child who uh, was going to basic training or something. And so there were several of us who were Cameron Brooks alum who were participating in the Veterans Club. And one of the opportunities that I took is that uh, I saw that there was a place along the highway near our corporate headquarters that where you could adopt the highway. And I felt like it would be great if Foster Farms had a sign on the side of the road that said, you know, we're cleaning the highway right here. We're invested in the community. And that was an opportunity I took on my own. I went to the Veterans Community uh, Committee and asked if they would support me with it and got involved with the Department of Transportation and, and did that. And we were successful. We were able to launch the program. Foster Farms bought into it. And now we have uh, cleanups that we do periodically. And we're able to come back to Foster Farms and say, look, now we are investing in the community. You know, there's, it was something that was uh, veterans and JMO led. And we can say, look, we want Foster Farms name to be out there doing good things in the community because that's what we believe in. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah, that's really good. All right, well, let's uh, let's land this plane. And there, I mean, this for uh, this uh, podcast is totally chock full of information in a very tight timeline. So I appreciate you really kind of getting to it. I know this is going to be helpful for others. So I guess my last is the last question that I sent a, a couple of days ago. What's the parting advice for a transitioning JMO? I mean, you've given a lot of advice thus far. This podcast again has been very helpful. Any final thoughts that somebody could use as they're as they're navigating the treacherous waters of the transition? I I would put a lot of faith in the process, the Cameron Brooks process, uh, with the DPP, with the reading list, even the preparation when you go to the career conference. It was uh, two full days before the interviews began, full of information, you were working hard, and then you had two full days of interviews right after that. Um, you know, there's times where you get feel like you're stretched to your limit, but you're growing in the process. And uh, mm-hmm. I have, I had faith in uh, Cameron Brooks and in Pete and uh, the other individuals there, and I felt like I I invested and I did my part, my preparation, and I was blessed with an opportunity where I could really choose which company do I want to go to. It wasn't like I had one offer and um, I had to take that one. I I had options, and I felt like it was related to the time and effort that I had put in preparing for that transition. That's so good. Especially, you know, we're we're recording this conference in the in the uncertainty of of the coronavirus and COVID nineteen the whole deal. But uh and we're three and a half weeks away from a conference, our April conference, and I can tell you right now, we're still having the conference, companies are still hiring, even in the midst of all this craziness and uncertainty companies are always looking for talented people to take them to the next level. So obviously you've been able to really capitalize on that and I'm sure you'll continue to do that. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to hang out with you for a couple of minutes today, Jim, and catch back up and hear, hear, hear how things are going for you. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.